Peoples have been thinking about the idea of resurrection for longer than we probably know. It shows up in the stories from different cultures and histories. In the English-speaking world, I think that when the novel Dracula was produced, it began what would become a whole genre of stories, but with a very interesting twist. That resurrection in a lot of popular English literature was associated with evil. Because when you think about Dracula, he bites you, you turn into a vampire, somebody else gets it, you know, you just basically pass on this infection of death that then allows you to live. Uh, in the popular set of novels and television show um, Game of Thrones, we're waiting to find out what's going to happen to what are referred to as the, walking, the White Walkers, the Walking Dead, this army that is coming from the north to attack the south. This is the final season, so we'll get to see what happens there. If you read or saw the Harry Potter movies, as I referred to earlier, you saw that Harry used what he found in the first book, in the last book, to come back to life after he had been killed. But Jesus was someone who had the power to raise the dead. Now, he's going to raise Lazarus, and, and that's an important part of the story. People were raised when he died. And so this idea of resurrection is part of the gospel story. It is something that Paul in Romans 10 tells us, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. Now Jesus was someone who, the Bible, the New Testament in particular, is very clear that he was like us. And from the book of Hebrews it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For he himself had to suffer when he was tempted, is able to help those who are being tempted. See, Jesus became like us so he could die in our place. That's part of what the whole gospel story, the narration, the history is all about, is that he had to be like us to be able to die. And then so when he was resurrected, he conquered death. He conquered the devil. Now, in this story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this, this family that seems to have a special place in the life of Jesus, in the vignette that I have chose to look at in 17 through 20, 
7. It is Martha that he comes to. Now, one of the things that we see in Luke's Gospel and others that you see that the Gospel writers seem to make a point that Jesus spoke to women, that Jesus dealt with women and their issues. Remember the Mary and Martha thing that, you know, Mary was there and Martha was off cleaning up the kitchen, making the meal. Well, this time it's Martha who comes out. And what we have to realize is that her brother had been in the ground, had been in the grave for four days. This isn't some kind of magician's trick. Everybody in the community, those Jews that came out to comfort her, they all knew that Lazarus was really dead. <clears throat> Jesus, in the conversation with his disciples, wanted them to know that he needed to wait. Through the sadness and loss of these two women, He wants both to tell us something about himself and demonstrate his power, his authority. Remember what he told us last week when we looked at I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Later on he said, I have the authority to lay it down. No one takes it from me that I have the authority to raise it up again. See, he wanted to be very clear that what was going to happen to him, his death and his resurrection, was never out of the sovereignty and power of God. And so Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha and the community are grieving his loss. Martha kind of chides him. You know, if you'd been here, you could have done something. You could have healed him, because Jesus had healed numbers of people. But he comes to her, and he, in what is pictured in the text, is kind of this intimate conversation between Jesus and Martha, with the disciples and the other grieving people around them. But he is saying it to Martha, this we believe single woman, whether she is a widow or a spinster, we don't know, but yet he says this. Verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Remember when he told us that he was the bread of life? Whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That is a very compact evangelistic appeal that Jesus gives to Martha about who he is and about her relationship with him in terms of faith. By saying, I am the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in me creates part of this faith relationship, which is why I believe Paul in Romans 10, uses it in his description that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you shall be saved. 
we have this appeal to believe in a resurrected Jesus Christ, both in, from the words of Jesus and the words of Paul. Because we, we need, even though death comes in our communities, in our families, death came more often and it came earlier in that early culture. In, in, you know. um, I tell people the story that uh, my father was the second son of the second son of the second son and in our family history. If you were the second son of the second son, you died before you were 40 years old. So, I knew that story before my father turned 40. Now, later on, I did some research. In America, in the year 1900, the average American male died at age 40. So, in some sense, the second son of the second son dying by age 40 was very American. Not great for the family, but that was the reality. And coming from a farming community where you had tractor accidents and all kinds of things. But my father, who lived into his late 80s, said on his 40th birthday and each day thereafter, it was a gift. Because that, that family story had been broken. And my brother, who was the second son of the second son of the second son, is 13 months younger than I am, and cruising along, two new hips and a shoulder, but cruising along. <laughs> because in families, we, we deal with death. We deal with grandparents or great-grandparents. Some of us have family members who are in their late 90s, others that I know, uh, somebody I just said, her, his mother had just turned 101. Um, but we know people don't live forever. I'm the resurrection and the life. I don't know how many times I use that in conversations and in short little impromptu worship services when I was a hospital chaplain in 2005 in Iraq, in Balad, where people came with their, they would come to visit the wounded. They would come to find out about the dead. And I could offer them hope in Jesus Christ who said, I am the resurrection and the life. That is part of his claim, that is part of his self-revelation, that is something that we need to remember. And the promise for those who believe is there that for everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What a promise. What a promise to live with, no matter what your age is. <laughs> And then he turns to her from what we might think of as preaching to make an appeal. 
Do you believe this? Look at Martha's response. Her response is as sophisticated and compact as his appeal. Notice that she answers right up front, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. Remember that Christ is the anointed one, the coming one, the one that the Jews in the Old Testament were waiting for. And to emphasize that, she says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. See, that claim to be the Son of God would be ultimately what would get him put to death and crucified. Because by claiming to be the Son of God, he was equating himself to be God. And remember, in a lot of the I Am's, Jesus talks about his relationship with his Father. Who is coming into the world, she says. She says, that's who you are. If your neighbor or family member would ask, well, well, who do you think Jesus is? This is a good place to start. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, the Incarnation. There's a lot of complicated storytelling in there to believe that the God who was, from the um, call to worship, who was the Creator, comes now to be the Redeemer, who, according to Hebrews, had to be made like us so that he could die for us. But one of the things that we know is you can say something... And not everybody's going to react the same. Look at the religious leaders in verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Think about that. Religious leaders who wanted Jesus to die. Now they had no idea that they were part of God's plan, that he had come to die on the cross. Verse 57 says, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, where Jesus was, they should let them know that they might arrest him. They wanted to use the legal system to put him to death. He created that much fear and disruption in their thinking. Now when we think about what is faith, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes we use the illustration in evangelism of, of a chair. And until you are willing to sit down in the chair, do you really have faith in that chair? Until you put your trust in Jesus Christ, do you really have faith in him, that he is who he says he is? Now, this passage gives us 
something for all of us to think about on a daily basis. We may be able to go back and say, this is the day that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. You know the date of your conversion. For some of us, it was growing up in a home where you had heard the Bible, you went to Sunday school and church, that it was just part of the air that you breathed. And what I came to understand about what happened to me is I would have had to become what the Bible calls a covenant breaker. I would have had to walk away from Jesus. Because I was one of those young people that grew up this... Um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I cannot in my own thinking remember a time when I did not trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Whether it's a memory from when I was 7 or 13, 15, into my 20s. I knew it that appropriate thing. And that's one of the things about evangelism of, of children is that the Bible tells us to do it knowing that their faith can be nurtured and encouraged and going on. Now, I think you've heard me mention Kathy Keller and her comments. That teaching children the catechism and Bible memory before they believe is putting kindling wood in for the Holy Spirit to build a bonfire. If a child has grown up with the scriptures in his mind and heart memorizing it or the catechism and understanding it, when the Holy Spirit takes a hold of that child, it has a context to grow in, a fire to build, because it's not all brand new. Now, one of the things as an Air Force chaplain that I found out in, over the years is that I would have a number of people who would become Christians through association, counseling, being around, that literally had no Bible background. And in today's world, there are many people who have no Bible background. When I was in high school, we had an intern come to the church to work with our pastor, and one of the things that he did was he went around house to house to offer a Bible study plan. 1960s, Southern California. And I was surprised because, you know, I had lived in this little bubble, to some extent, of households that did not have Bibles in them. When I was a hospital chaplain there in Balad, Iraq, I worked with Australian chaplains because 20% of the staff of the hospital were Australians. Wonderful, competent, brilliant people. But what the chaplain told me, the Australian chaplain, he says, we work with the idea of understanding that we are in the fifth generation of biblical illiteracy in Australia. In other words, the Bible had been out of public life, out of family life, out of the schools. He goes through all of this, that for five generations, the Bible has not been a part of Australia. And so when we go and we talk, we're talking a language that that they have no familiarity with. Now, 
you can correct me, and I hope you do. But my impression is, as I walk around and talk to my neighborhood, I would say in my little 14-house neighborhood, 70% of those people in their explaining who they are to me identify some kind of relationship with the church or with Jesus Christ. It's part of their identity that they share with a new person. Now, it may be they share it with me because they know I'm a pastor and they say, oh, he wants to hear this. But my sense is that the, in the community, because of the schools, because of other things, there at least is an awareness. There may not be a faith, but there at least is an awareness of the Bible that you can use then to build to get people to follow. Now, in a little bit, we're going to be taking communion. Part of communion is proclaiming his death until he comes again. That comes again reminds us of his resurrection, that he has come. Next week is probably the most intense evangelistic appeals that, that we are given in the book of John. I and the way, the truth, and the life. He is doing that in the upper room with his disciples. He's getting ready within hours to go to the cross, and he gives them this I am. Now, the week after that, we're going to look at I am the vine, which is about discipleship and communion with him. So he, last week with the Good Shepherd laid down my life, I have the authority to lay it down in order to bring it up. This week I am the resurrection. He's getting us ready for his death on the cross and then his resurrection, which is the atonement, which is propitiation. It's all these words that are used to describe what God did for us. Now, You know, sometimes our lives get the better of us. And, and we, you know, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'll look out the window and I'll see the clouds on the top of the mountains behind my house. Just magnificent. But I know sometimes I'm going to wake up and it's like that cloud is over my head and I just, that's all, I don't think I, you know, it's just like, mm. and you forget that it's a cloud, it's not there forever. Memorizing a verse like this, I am the resurrection and life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Can be one that you can cling on to when you are discouraged. Because most of us are going to live through the week, right? We're not going to die. But he is the resurrection. The death is not let me pray we're going to sing two songs I'll explain that in a minute um, and during that singing we can go get the rest of the congregation Jesus we thank you that you are at the right hand of God that you are 
the great high priest. We pray, Father, that as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, Father, we thank you that you have given us your word so that we know who you are. You have given us your body and your blood that we might commune with you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen.